Welcome to Manager Tools. The Effective Hiring Manager Missing Chapters, Reducing Interviewee Stress, Part 1. This cast answers these questions. How stressful should interviews be? How can I determine if candidates can handle stress? What can I do to reduce interview process stress? Well, if you want answers to these questions and more, keep listening. Here we go. Hey, folks, if you haven't heard, if you don't know, we conduct public conferences around our major guidance, effective managing, effective communicating, and effective hiring throughout the United States and overseas throughout the year. We'll do over 100 training days like that uh, in 2020, and we'll be in Los Angeles January 21 and 22 with our Effective Manager and Effective Communication Conferences. If you want to learn more about how to roll out the Trinity, one-on-ones, feedback, coaching, and delegation, and perhaps for those of you who maybe already have, ask questions of us, which is what everybody tells us they love about it, we'll be there to help both for the EMC and for communicating, especially if you like DISC. So come and see us in Los Angeles, January 21 and 22. Mark, today we're going to talk about interviewee stress. And like, I, I don't know if this is the, the biggest misconception that people about have about conducting interviews, but it may be. One no, of- no. The biggest misconception people have about interviewing is that they're good at it. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Well, and, and believing what we're going to describe here in a second is one of those things that makes you not good at it. But exactly. It's a exactly lot of folks right. believe that adding more stress during the interview process yeah. increases the effectiveness of the interview. And, and it's, it's not true. It absolutely reduces the effectiveness of your interview. Yeah. And for the record, guys, this isn't opinion. I mean, we run, we've run tests over the years where we've interviewed people. We've had managers or interviewers interview candidates who are already doing the same job in another division of the company. We give them fake resumes and they get interviewed and they get told no, which is just bizarre. And these are people who are reasonably good communicators. Um, and part of the reason is because the, 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 well, the entirety of the reason is the interviewer does a poor job of screening for the appropriate things and says, well, I don't like the candidate or, you know, he gives a high stress interview and it doesn't go well. And this is made worse, Mike, in my opinion, by how stupid the media is regarding covering business and processes, because there are always news stories about things companies do. Uh, that, from the candidate perspective, make interviewing more stressful. These things are clever or interesting. You know, we tell the story. I think we even have a podcast about genius-level interview questions or stupid interview questions. Uh, For instance, uh, you know, how many golf balls fit into a 747? And actually, that question has validity for a very narrow scope of interviewees in certain jobs. But people think it's clever. People think it's cool. People get a little, interviewers, managers, and individual contributors get into their head that they have a lot of power, which you do when you interview, and think, oh, I'll ask that. And that'll make it hard for people. And artificially hard. Yeah. Well, yeah, not, yeah, you're right. Artificially hard. And I'll go a step further. Non-predictive hard, as we'll talk about in a minute. I mean, it doesn't do you any good. It, you know what? It just makes you feel powerful. And it makes the interviewee not feel powerful. 
How is that a recipe for recruiting? And, you know, we don't talk about recruiting enough, Mike. We talk about interviewing because that's the thing that scares candidates and, and managers. But you're supposed to be recruiting all the time, too. If somebody's coming to the final step of your process and you're doing things to anti-recruit them, to push them away, yeah, no. This isn't some frat house effort where I want to push you away and I want to see how hard you're going to fight for it. There's no evidence that stress, um, even if you have an operational tempo that's fairly high, that additional stress in interviewing works. And what's more important, we have, I'll go a step further, we have evidence that it doesn't work. And that's what this cast is about. So we're going to start out by talking broadly about why stress is the enemy of effective interviewing. And then we're going to take several steps of the process and give very specific guidance and a little bit more punchy, not not bulletized exactly, but short guidance rather than giving you a lot of the details. We're going to give you the details and the why up front, and then we're going to give you a bunch of recommendations. And those um, four steps in the process are the screening process for the candidate, the day of interview, when you bring that candidate in for a full day of interviews, the follow-up process stress, and then also even onboarding stress. We'll cover that too. Even though hypothetically, you would say, well, once they've accepted, they're not being interviewed anymore. Yes, but if you're smart, you realize all the interviews in the world don't do any good unless they come to work for you and are made to be effective, which is why onboarding matters. So that's the outline. Excellent. Okay, so let's we'll solve the problem that folks think that uh, stress is good for effective interviewing. Yeah. It is not. Stress is the enemy of effective interviewing. Yeah, adding more stress to your interviewing process is stupid and wasteful, okay? That's what our data show. The data associated with additional stress, and we adjust variables to include additional stress, aligns perfectly with the opposite of what we want. And I'll give you a good example, which we'll talk about later, panel interviews. People, companies all over, and unfortunately, guys, I love you, HR, but HR thinks that they're good. They're bad. I mean, they're really bad, um, as we'll talk about. They, they reduce your true positives. They reduce your true negatives. They increase your false positives and your false negatives, and candidates hate them. And so not only do they screw up your interviewing process, candidates say no more often when you offer them. I mean, come on. How bad is that, right? You yeah. create an interview process that the person you want is more inclined to say no. It's not good. Yeah. On top of the fact that the person you want doesn't make it through. So, yeah. Well, like you said, it's bad. <laughs> it's bad. Yeah. I think the bad is a particularly apt word there. It's it's specific and precise. So, so let's review for a second, guys. What do we want? We don't necessarily want to hire. Let's start with that. In fact, our first hiring principle is don't hire. And we've got a podcast for that. And it's also the first chapter of my book, which came out a couple of months ago called The Effective Hiring Manager. Okay. But that's how to think before you're in in the interviewing process. This guidance, of course, is about you're already there in the interviewing process. Okay. But even if we do decide we need to hire after we go through the process of figuring out that uh, we can't increase productivity without additional people, we then have to be focused on making an effective hire. That doesn't mean just making an offer which is accepted. 
It means making an offer to someone who turns out to be effective once they're in the role. And by the way, guys, I mentioned HR a minute ago. You know, for those of you who just started listening in the last month or two, and this is a fairly new experience for you, but you're starting at the top of the most current chronological list, uh, as an aside, you you only have 1,200 more podcasts to go. Um, But I mentioned HR, and uh, this is a case where while we want you to have an effective relationship with HR, and historically, you'll find that I've said in the past, I hate HR, and I've since apologized for that because... I don't hate HR, I hate bad HR, and there's a lot of bad HR, but good HR is priceless, and I hope you have it. Um, But there is a typical HR metric, which is number of offers accepted versus number of offers given. And unfortunately, that's a useful metric. It's a proxy. It gives some sense of whether or not you're offering the right people and recruiting them effectively, in other words, selling them a little bit about the opportunity and so on. But it's also misaligned if, in fact, you're offering the wrong people and they're accepting, right? right? That would be what we would call a false positive. You said yes, and you should not have said yes. Otherwise defined as hell on earth, right? Yeah, exactly. Well, no, actually, yeah, a false uh, a false positive is hell on earth. Exactly, it's the worst worst possible outcome. In fact, we we joke a, a little bit that many managers think the worst possible outcome is a false negative, saying no to somebody that you should have hired. They think, oh gosh, I'm in such pain. Gosh, if I'd have known they were that good, if I'd have been a better interviewer, if I'd have done, if I'd have had better insights, I'd have been able to hire them. But anyone who has ever hired somebody and regretted it, will tell you the worst possible outcome of interview is to offer somebody you shouldn't have. And there are managers every once in a while, you and I have talked to them, Mike, who say, yeah, you couldn't have predicted that in an interview. Hmm. Yeah, you could have. <laughs> you could have. Particularly if you're asking questions like, how many golf balls go into 747? What a waste of time. Okay. So we don't just want positive people we offer. We want true positives, people whom we offer who are also a good fit. But go further, guys. It follows logically that we also want more true negatives, candidates we choose not to offer who would not have been a good fit. An effective interviewing process is one that increases the true positives and the true negatives, and so therefore reduces the false positives and false negatives. So here's what our data, we gathered this over... Oh, 15, 18 years with, oh, probably over 10,000 interviews and various studies to determine what worked and what didn't work in interviewing and how candidates responded and how interviewers responded and how hard it was to prepare interviewers and so on. And much of that work included um, questions about stress. How does stress affect the likelihood of effective hiring? hiring the right person, someone who will be effective in the job. And the data show stressful hiring processes both decrease true positives and true negatives, and then also increase false positives and false negatives. Like I said, I think it's the perfect storm. So how does that happen? Why does stress cause that? Well, first of all, stress decreases true positives because it surprises some of your qualified candidates, okay? They're not prepared for weird questions 
or faked situations that are designed to throw you and see how you handle stress, okay? Uh, they're not prepared for unusual tactics. They're prepared for a professional interview. They're not prepared for rudeness or I'm going to not show up for my interview for a half an hour. Let's see what the candidate does. Can he find me on the floor where we all work? Will he interrupt me if I'm in a meeting? Uh, because around here, you have to push pretty darn hard to get your stuff done. You know what? That's just whack job time right there. I mean, or, or look, another thing, disrespectful interviewers. We're, we're going to talk in this cast about smiling during an interview. Smiling improves. We, we measured it. How often the interviewer smile is positively correlated. It doesn't cause, but it's positively correlated with effective outcomes. Okay? So some of your best candidates aren't prepared for that. And because we've determined that those people who are prepared for it and maybe aren't your best candidates don't do as well in the job, and then some of your potentially best candidates, like a candidate who's doing your job in another division of your company, does poorly or chooses to say no to your offer because why would I want to go to work over there? I mean, they're rude. They're unprofessional. They're, I mean, they do stupid stuff. It's not a, this is not a carnival funhouse. Now, look, that's not to say that stress knocks out all of our best candidates, right? Um, some of our best candidates do fine with the stress. But look at it this way. Suppose you have two qualified candidates and one of them fights through your stressors and one doesn't. Now you only have one candidate you could conceivably offer. Suddenly, that one candidate's other interviews at other companies, other firms, and remember, this is somebody who's good, somebody who other firms are going to want, one of the rare people that went through your, came through your process. That person is your only option, but because of that, all of their other external opportunities are aligned against you more strongly. Having two candidates means maybe you can win one of them. Having one, all your eggs in that basket. Suddenly, you're motivated to pay a little more, and that messes up, of course, your salary distribution, right? Suddenly, you're willing to give them more time. But that probably stops you from going through further interviewing until they make a decision. And then if they take more time and say no, you've spent longer without the necessary productive new hire. You're just a lot less in control of your destiny if a false negative happens. A false negative is somebody who was good and you said no to. Now, look, regarding that one qualified candidate who didn't make it, the false negative, our evidence is that some candidates simply find that extra stress unnecessary, heavy-handed, artificial, unprofessional. In fact, I could still show you exactly on the piece of paper where a candidate that we had seeded into the system wrote down that the extra stress that we didn't know was coming was, quote, stupid, unquote. We also talked to plenty of interviewees, which is always interesting, right? They come out of a series of interviews, and then we asked to interview them about the interviews. Um, but you can't tell them that in advance because that skews their ability to be effective in terms of trying to get themselves a job. Um, but they lose respect for the hiring company based on 
these kind of tactics. Yeah. How is that good for sourcing, right? Yeah, exactly. Because because true positives, the people you want, tend to hang around other true positives, other people you would want, and they're going to go back. And now that they're a false negative, they're going to go back and say, yeah, those guys are jerking people around over there. I wouldn't go interview. What's more, that second candidate is not only an increase in your false negatives, he's a decrease in your true positives, right? Because he was a positive and you said no. Yeah, your pool just, in this case, your pool just went down by 50%. Exactly. Stress also messes with your results on the other side of the equation. Some candidates will do well with the artificial stress and leading interviewers to believe that they will do well once they're hired. But that artificial stress is not a good predictor of future performance. And the time you spend creating the artificial stress is time you're not looking at other things that are good predictors of future performance. Basically, artificial stress distorts our ability, even if we're the ones that create it, to assess future productivity. And as you said, Mike, false positives that interviewing stress creates means higher incidence of hell on earth. And folks, if you're wondering where we get the phrase hell on earth, you'll have to listen to our podcast about true positives and true negatives and false positives and false negatives. As we finish out 2019, guys, one of the big highlights for us, and certainly for the 50 attendees we had, was our M conference. We had 50 professionals, mostly executives, and um, we were very fortunate that it sold out as quickly as it did. We didn't expect that. And um, most of our clients have been with us for years, in some case, long before the podcast even existed. And uh, this is a way for us to say thanks for all the folks who listen and then write us notes and tell us how we made their careers and their professional lives and personal lives better. And especially to our client sponsors who have been working with us for so long. Merry Christmas. Happy New Year. See you next year. Now, something else I, I want to cover here that's important. We're not talking here, guys, about the elimination of stress, okay? This is not happy playtime, okay? We understand there is some performance anxiety associated with interviews, the same way there is about a, an important presentation, a critical document, a make-or-break sales call, a high-stakes marketing budget meeting. This level of stress for most people is in the range of what we call, actually not what we call, what science calls U-stress, E-U, and then the word stress, like euphoria. Moderate stress, light stress, which actually enhances our performance by sharpening our senses, increasing our preparation, increasing our responsiveness. What we're advocating strongly against is not answering, not adding unnecessary, ill-advised additional stressors that are within our purview as the hiring manager. And here's what we've learned. The normal level of stress in interviews without adding artificiality is reasonably equivalent to a stressful workday for high-performing candidates. Now, look, you'll know, we, we, I said they're high-performing candidates. That's one of the reasons why, why, why typical interview processes spread the field to make it easier for us to identify the candidates who meet what I hope you're creating, which are high standards. 
And guys, this is also certainly not guidance to reduce your candidate's stress so they can describe themselves as feeling safe and supported and affirmed, okay? We are not wanting people to feel okay. We want them to feel stressed, but every interview candidate I think we've ever interviewed has said, yeah, I felt stress, stress to perform. Some people do well with that, some people don't. If you create a reasonable amount of normal interview stress, in other words, you don't do anything wacky to increase it, your candidates will feel stress. It will be you stress, and that will be a good predictor of things. And if somebody can't handle that, that's a completely different problem. Right. And there's what you're doing is gathering data that suggests they're not going to be capable of handling typical routine, right. operational tempo, and work stress. Okay. But we're recommending the elimination of stupidity, bureaucracy, false stressors, because we know that normal performance anxiety for candidates still exists. It is less for our best candidates. It's less for our prepared candidates but it still exists for everybody. Now, look, I've read some stuff in the last couple of years uh, that I'm just astounded by. Um, Let's put it this way. I'm astounded by the stupidity that exists in the public forum on the internet in terms of people describing what they think interviewing should be when they have no data, (laughs) no experience, no database of tens of thousands of interviews conducted across 13 or 17. I think one time we had 22 metrics that the interviewer, the, the evaluator of the interview had to had to uh, take a look at. And I'll tell you what that is, guys. That's not a function of smart people talking about interviewing. That's a function of the lowered barrier to widespread dissemination of information because widespread dissemination of information that, it, that has a low barrier pro, uh, 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 protecting it means more stupidity in the world. Um, I've read about uh, uh, allowing candidates breaks in the middle of the day, like a half an hour, just a quiet time for candidates in order for them to, quote, recover, unquote, from difficult interviews in the interest of eliminating stress. And we already talked about that. We're not here to eliminate stress. We're not, okay? We're trying to eliminate excessive and non-predictive stressors. The interviews we recommend you create and then enact don't require reasonably prepared candidates to recover from them. Yeah, candidates feel stressed. Just you did too when you interviewed, I'm sure, just like they would at work. A candidate who can't proceed through a professionally prepared interview schedule that has no intention to create additional stress is unlikely to be a collaborative, high-performing teammate. You don't have to create a separate situation for somebody who says, I'm easily stressed because they're going to be easily stressed every day. And what they're telling you is my performance is going to go down. And it's okay to be focused on hiring somebody who's going to be productive for you. We're at um, almost like 26 minutes, so this will be a a long one. So let's let's stop now and... You let me get started, Mike. (laughs) I know. know. You just get on a roll and I stop So, folks, um, stick with us. We'll finish this up next week. In the meantime, have a great one, folks.